You're listening to the Women's Health Cast, a podcast about issues and innovations in women's health from the University of Wisconsin-Madison Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. I'm Jackie Askins. In all the excitement and upheaval and sleepless nights of new parenthood, some mood changes are definitely expected. According to Dr. Julianne Zweifel, up to 75% of new moms experience some mood change in the first couple weeks of parenting. But for 12 to 20% of women, those feelings continue beyond the first couple weeks, which is when they start to qualify as more significant perinatal mood disorders. Dr. Zweifel and I discussed the symptoms of common mood disorders like postpartum depression and anxiety, and the variety of available treatments. Dr. Zweifel is a health psychologist in the UW Department of OBGYN. I'm sitting down today with Dr. Julianne Zweifel to learn a little bit about perinatal mood disorders. Thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. So before we get started, tell me a little bit about your practice. Why do patients come to see you? So uh, I've had the good fortune of being in the department of OBGYN as their health psychologist for about 15 years now. And so across that time, people have been coming to see me for anything that has to do with reproduction. I like to say soup to nuts. So trying to get pregnant or uh, lack of being able to get pregnant or miscarriages or problems in pregnancy, postpartum depression, and you know, sadly, stillbirth, things like that. Um, so anything really that has to do with reproduction, people are often sitting in my office. So that's why I wanted to talk to you, I think, about uh, mood disorders that can occur during or after pregnancy. Uh, what are some of the most common mood disorders that can be associated with pregnancy? The most common mood disorders in pregnancy are really the same common mood disorders outside of pregnancy, which is going to be anxiety and depression. Um, so there are some folks who are going to struggle with anxiety and or depression during pregnancy. Sometimes they've never experienced it before. Sometimes, you know, anxiety and depression are old friends of theirs that come back while they're experiencing pregnancy. You know, usually see too many um, brand new major mental health disorders are popping up during pregnancy. When I think about these disorders, what I most commonly think of is postpartum depression. I think that's the one that for me has been discussed the most, addressed the most with people I know or in the media. How common is it? So postpartum blues, uh, and I'll get to depression in a second, but postpartum blues is going to affect 60 to 70, maybe even 75% of women. So I would say that's the normal experience. If that many women who experience pregnancy are going to experience, that's that's the norm. It's the lucky few who don't. Um, postpartum depression is going to be a much smaller number. And I'm going to say that's in the 12 to 20% of women are going to experience postpartum depression. So what's the difference between the, the blues and depression? The biggest difference has to do with timing and duration. So almost by definition, postpartum blues is a mood dysregulation or basically just being out of sorts. It tends to click in within the first few days after having given birth. The most common time for it to begin to emerge is on day three after having given birth. And it's going to be characterized by basically feeling more emotional 
than you know you typically are. So crying easily or being anxious easily or irritable easily. So to mood really on your sleeve, you know, really recognizing, wow, this is more than what I normally would feel, feeling overwhelmed. But commonly with, with the blues, that's going to begin to resolve within 10 to 14 days. So it's really a transitory kind of thing. Once the mood disruption extends beyond 14 days, then it actually is postpartum depression. So it might not feel different than when you were labeled as postpartum blues. It's just that it hasn't resolved. So postpartum depression is not necessarily more intense than postpartum blues. It just hasn't resolved. It might be more intense, but not necessarily so. Do we know um, what causes postpartum depression or the blues or any other perinatal mood disorders? The short answer to that is no, but I have a much longer answer than that. It, it was actually the interest in postpartum blues that um, got me involved in this area to begin with, actually. Um, when I was an undergraduate here at University of Wisconsin, I was taking a, a course called Advanced Topics in Physiological Psychology, and I wrote a paper about um, weight changes that occur with pregnancy and lactation. And just seeing the complexity of the physiological changes that occur during pregnancy and lactation really made me wonder, man, is this feeding into, is this causal in, in postpartum blues and depression? Um, turns out we don't really have data that suggests that that's the case, but if you just look at how much is changing in a woman's body, it's hard to isolate those variables and say it is this or it's not that. But what I can tell you is that when researchers have tried to look at hormonal changes across pregnancy and then giving birth and then sort of the recalibration, what you don't see is a different pattern across women who do experience postpartum depression and those who don't. So women who struggle more with depressive mood don't have bigger changes or more abrupt changes than women who aren't struggling. So we, we don't see absolute levels or, or timing that's different. The most promising research in terms of a, looking for a physiological factor in this is research that seems to suggest that the alpha estrogen receptor might be exquisitely sensitive for a subset of women. And so the same change that might not impact one woman so substantially can impact another woman much more substantially. So that's the most promising area of research. But then you have all the rest of the things that are going on. You know, So one of the things is from going from being pregnant to being in a parenting role, even though you've been anticipating, it's a really abrupt change. You know, all of a sudden, even though you knew it was coming, you have tremendous responsibility. And typically people really want to do a good job with that. And they don't really know this child. They've been carrying the child. They have ideas of the child. So they're trying to get to know this child. They're trying to understand what this child wants. And that child, of course, does not speak yet. And so you know, there's a lot of kind of fumbling around in the dark trying to get to know this baby. This baby is trying to learn how to thrive in the outside of the uterus world. And and it's a tough transition at best. And then you've got sleep disruption. 
and just the physical recovery of having given birth. And if there's breastfeeding that's going on, that's a whole new challenge to try to get up and running. And it commonly has difficulties there. And then the other factor I'll just throw in there is that there are a lot of social narratives about the immediate experience between mothers and infants that I think are super unhelpful. What this, do you mean? Uh, this, the social narrative that is conveyed through um, just, you know, individual storytelling, but also the media and just talk amongst people is that the moment a baby is born, there is instantaneous bonding between a mother and an infant. And I'm going to say that's sort of mythology. <laughs> so there's this, there's this idea that's perpetuated that women are going to have this intense relationship with their infant the moment that baby's born. I'd like to describe it as it's sort of like um, going from black and white film to, to color film. So, you know, that, you know, you enjoyed things before, but now all of a sudden, wow, the depth of love and relationship is so much more profound and, and in, at a scale that you didn't even know about before. And that's really the kind of thing that is perpetuated through conversation. And, and, it, and I'm not saying that people are perpetuating that to be unhelpful, but that just isn't really the way that it commonly works out. It may work out that way for some women, a subset, but typically people actually have to get to know their infant, <laughs> you know, and they have to begin to understand them and, and they have to feel that their, their infant is actually recognizing them. You know, when babies are born, they don't have the visual acuity to, to really be able to focus on, on, a, on a face. So the baby has to be actually able to focus on you to be able to interact with you in any way. Undoubtedly, when babies are born, women love them from, from a mama bear perspective and are certainly concerned and committed to the care and nurturance of their child. But it's not that ooey-gooey, you're the center of my universe kind of thing. And so anyway, women are told these stories through our, our society and they come to expect this and then when they don't feel that way immediately they begin to wonder is something wrong and you know there's writings I was actually just reading a paper today that talks about this again this writer was talking about it's sort of mythological that there's this critical window of opportunity for a mother to develop a strong relationship with her infant and if she doesn't accomplish it that in that critical window you know kind of all is lost <laughs> like that this relationship is not going to be what it otherwise would have been which again that's mythology but it's perpetuated and so if you don't accomplish what you think you needed to accomplish in that window of opportunity it creates a tremendous amount of anxiety so all of this feeds a lot of worry in that early uh, mother infant experience, which I really believe from a psychology perspective is feeding into what is the blues. I think the blues just happens because it's, you know, up to 75% of women. But if this anxiety starts feeding and, and swirling about, you know, am I really developing this, this good bonding relationship with my child from the outset, I think that can propel, propel us into more of a lasting depression experience. Do postpartum anxiety and depression look any different from each other? Well, so I'll tell you, when I was in grad school, one of the professors who was involved in our training used the, f the phrase anxiety and depression are best friends. 
And where you have one, you usually have the other. One might be the dominant friend, but the other one's hanging around there. So, you know, if you're anxious, if you think about it, if you're really anxious, that tends to be depressing <laughs> to be anxious. And, and as you get depressed, you can have concerns. So they really do kind of feed into one or the other. But that said, I'll say when people come in and I meet with them, oftentimes it really does seem to be more depressed mood or more anxiety. But, th- but that's just, you know, both of them are going to cause sleep disruption as is going to be having a small, a small child in, in, in a new infant in your home. So from a psychology perspective, the, I'm a kind of behavioral psychologist, so our work is going to be, you know, looking at people's assumptions that in the ideas they had about what they expected and and unhelpful thought patterns and trying to address them and be more helpful and develop coping strategies. So even though the thought, the content of the thought pattern might be different, whether it's a depressive thought or or an anxiety, you're still gonna use the same techniques to, to try to help bring somebody to a more comfortable place. What are some of the symptoms to be kind of on the lookout for? Uh, especially around that 14-day period when you'd expect the postpartum blues to kind of be cooling down a little bit? The the big things, of course, as we've already mentioned, are depressed mood. So just feeling sad, feeling discouraged, feeling hopeless, feelings of inadequacy. People are going to be tired. Women are going to be tired, of course, because they're still recovering from childbirth and they're probably up at night. But more fatigue than would be expected, given given the things that I've just said. A lack of interest in things, so you know, not feeling like even talking to the people that you're closest to. Kind of a, a decrease in interest in things that they would normally be interested in. So kind of drawing into oneself. I'm not saying they're actually isolated, but almost sort of emotionally you know, becoming isolated. I can kind of imagine as a being a new parent and having your whole routine disrupted, it might be sort of hard to pick out what of this is an enduring mood disorder and what of this is just me being exhausted from taking care of a new baby who I love but don't totally understand yet. And do you think that makes it harder to pinpoint for patients when they do have a more enduring mood disorder happening? I think if you're tired, if, it, if you aren't experiencing depression you're going to have positive emotional experience. You know, you're going to be happy. You're going to be happy to see people. You, you would hear your voice is upbeat. You're engaging in conversation. So you can still be tired and have all those sort of things. So I'm not saying that if you are experiencing postpartum depression that you don't have any positive emotional experiences. But I think if you're solely tired... It's it's qualitatively a different experience, and I and I think people would recognize that. I think they they would walk around saying, you know, I am dog tired, but they may have a smile on their face, and and so it's different. So what happens after postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety is diagnosed? What kind of treatment options are available? There's a number of things. So. Of, of course, so I'm a, I'm a psychologist, so I do psychotherapy. So that would be individual uh, mental health treatment, meaning it's not group therapy. Sometimes spouses will come in, but uh, still it's, it's provided on an individual basis. There's medications. Many women are reluctant to take medication because they hope to be breastfeeding and they're concerned about that. 
which may not really be as big a concern as many people think it is, but nonetheless, many women are, are, are motivated to avoid medication sort of at all costs. We have some really talented psychiatrists here in our psychiatry department, Dr. Charlotte Ladd and Zach Stowe, both of whom do focus on, on working with women across a reproductive time frame. I kind of view them as my partners. We really have good resources here, but still, some women, you know, are just not going to do that. But there's also things that I think are super helpful that aren't formal treatment. Meritor Hospital has a mother-infant mother hour that women go to, I, and I think women really benefit from that. If you can have people in your life who have a similar experience and are having sort of, they're more honest with you. They're not just telling you how they want you to think their experiences. But if they're telling you, yeah, we had a hard night too, and I didn't know what I was doing, and I couldn't get my baby to settle down, and my baby was fussing all night, you know, a reality-based kind of conversation, you know, other women going through, I think that's tremendously reassuring because then you start to recognize it's not just you. Oh, maybe this is the experience, you know. So I think the Mother Baby Hour is a terrific resource. And then there are other community groups. Um, there's there's programs offered through Happy Bambino. And so there's, there's formal treatment. And I, I, I believe in that, but that's, that's not the only way to approach things. I know mental health treatment in general can be kind of a hard thing as a patient to bring up with your provider. And I can imagine that immediate postpartum time is a little extra sensitive. So... What are some of the barriers or challenges to bringing up mood issues or changes with your doctor? I think one of the things that could be a barrier is uh, patients will, with their medical providers, whether it's in the realm of obstetrics or anything else, patients will often want to manage their relationship with their provider they want their provider to like them. They want their provider to have a positive view of them. So they value that. And so I think they can feel that it's a little bit of a risk to admit that they're struggling. They don't want to be seen as unqualified to be parenting, which I don't think the provider is going to feel. But people have these sort of catastrophic thoughts of, you know, what's, what's my provider going to think about me? What I would be saying is just recognizing, like seriously, the fact that the majority of women are going to struggle with the blues. To me, that makes it a normal experience. And just to begin discussing that with the provider, and I, you know, I, I've been in our department for 15 years, and I really think that our our OBs in our department, and, and I'm going to say community wide, you know, they they want the best for people, and they know this is going on, you know, and so they they want to be helpful. Um, so I would say just trying to keep in mind that this is. Uh, not the provider's first rodeo, that, that they have seen things before and, and probably really not going to be alarmed, but wanting to be responsive and helpful. Are there other mood or mental health changes that new moms should talk to their doctor about, whether they experience them during pregnancy or even after delivery? Anything else to kind of keep an eye out for? Well, one of the things I would say that I think can be worrisome, but it's really often quite normal, is when you are fatigued and or stressed, mood and concentration can really suffer. <laughs> and so you can kind of you can kind of become concerned, you know, is, is there something wrong with me now? Because, you know, I'm, I'm forgetting stuff or, you know, I, I, I left something on the stove and it burned or I parked my car and I can't remember where it is. And, you know, I, 
seldom is that going to actually be indicative of, of a real problem. It's it's probably just the, the fatigue and you're forgetting things. And I tell people in that case, you know, you really almost need to continually make a note to self. You can't trust your memory. Like So when you park your car, pay attention to the aisle that it is. Don't just assume that you're going to remember. And you, do, you need to be more intentional. But I don't really think that there's a genuine increase in other major mental health issues coming up that when women do have major mental health issues occurring in pregnancy or postpartum bipolar disorder schizophrenia things like that those usually have there have been signs of it earlier on so it, it, it isn't that this was brought on by pregnancy or postpartum per se it, it may be another occurrence of of an uptick in struggles do you have any suggestions or recommendations for things people can do on their own that might be helpful to improve mood? Yeah, actually, there's some pretty simple things that you can do. One thing that I like to point out to folks, this is easy to do, takes very little time, effort, and almost no financial investment, is try to modulate your mood with music. So most people have music on their phone or they have access to music you know, through other strategies in their home. And what you can do is try to put on music that is at a tempo that matches the mood you're trying to seek. So if if you're feeling down, you're feeling lethargic, but you wish your mood was better, put on something that's a little bit more upbeat. You can hold that baby and you can literally dance with your baby in your family room. And it's fun. It's fun to do and it's interaction and it's gonna start it's gonna break up those negative thought patterns and it's gonna have you do something that's with your baby that feels good. Another thing you can do is infant massage. So if you look on YouTube, you'll find infant massage strategies. You put on some quiet music if you want, and that's just you know, a time just for you to focus on, on the baby and kind of push other thoughts aside and it feels like just a wonderful little bonding experience. And then other things are just try to keep active. Trying to get out for a walk is really good. So seriously, physical activity is is a good strategy for improving mood and decreasing stress. So getting that baby in, in a baby carrier or a stroller and getting out for a walk, trying to get exposure to sunshine and, and fresh air is actually genuinely helpful. And the other thing I'd say is try to increase your social interaction. So we really are, we're tribal. Um, Humans are tribal, and we are able to promote our own mood by being around other people whose mood's a little better, kind of catching their good mood. So trying to get out and interact with people, all those things are, are really little things, but cumulatively, they can really help promote positive mood. On the next Women's Health Cast, we'll learn about the unique sexual health concerns that can follow cancer treatments from Joanne Rash, a physician's assistant in the UW Department of OBGYN and co-founder of the Women's Integrative Sexual Health Clinic at UW Health. The Women's Health Cast is a production of the University of Wisconsin-Madison Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. This episode was produced and engineered by Rob Garza. You can subscribe to the Women's Health Cast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WISCOBGYN. Please let us know how we're doing. Rate and review us in your podcast app, and let us know what women's health issues you'd like to learn about. Thanks for listening. <laughs>